If you lived in Kazakhstan, you would not be celebrating Father's Day today. In Kazakhstan, Father's Day is celebrated on the 7th of May. In Switzerland, it's the first Sunday in June. In the United Kingdom and the United States, it's the third Sunday in June. In Uruguay, it's the second Sunday in July. Uh, According to Wikipedia, that very uh, reliable, trustworthy source of information, uh, only Australia, Fiji, New Zealand and Papua New Guinea celebrate Father's Day today, the first Sunday in September. The celebration of Father's Day probably goes back to medieval Europe and to the Feast of St. Joseph. Uh, Joseph being uh, the husband of Mary. And this is still a fixture on the liturgical calendar. It's celebrated on the 19th of March. Joseph wasn't Jesus' father, but he was a father to Jesus. His contribution is acknowledged on St. Joseph's Day, and we can understand how this became a celebration of fatherhood in general. In modern times, we can see how different countries inaugurated and developed a day for the celebration of fathers, and these traditions are really not that old. Uh, Many originated in the 20th century. As far as Father's Day in Australia goes, uh, one article I read explained its origins this way. Uh, One of the first mentions of Father's Day in Australia was seen in the Newcastle Sun on September 4th, 1936. The article promoted a Father's Day meeting at the Baptist Tabernacle with reference to hopes the day would become as popular as Mother's Day. Uh, The idea had also surfaced a week earlier on August 29th, 1936 in the Daily News Perth with an advertorial suggesting gifts to be given on the day. But an article in the Western Herald in 1964 said the day was first celebrated in 1935 The same article explained the day was officially designated as the first Sunday in September through the Commonwealth in 1964. No reason was officially given for the choice of date, but it is a widely held belief that the month was chosen for commercial benefit. September spaces Father's Day almost perfectly between Mother's Day and Christmas in a calendar year, giving shoppers ample time to save for all. So why we celebrate Father's Day today is unclear. It's probably the case that the day has both sacred and secular origins. It's both Christian and commercial. Now I suspect that for some, you are enthusiastic about Father's Day. Uh, You enjoy the celebration, you put a lot of effort into blessing your father, you give gifts, you organise a special meal or a special get-together. It's a very meaningful day uh, on the calendar. And then for others, uh, I'd imagine you might uh, give a gift or make a phone call or send a text, but otherwise the day is not such a big deal. For some families, Father's Day wasn't and isn't a major event and that's, that's okay. Uh, My father will be lucky if he gets a text from me today. I also want to acknowledge that for some, uh, this is not an easy day. Because it brings back good memories, but they are a reminder of how much that special man is missed. 
And then for others, uh, this day only serves to bring back painful memories. Not, not everyone had a good father. And so if this is not an easy day for you, I want you to know that, that we as a church family, we care for you, we're here for you, and most importantly, our Father in heaven cares for you. And I would encourage you to look to him today. Wherever you happen to fall on the spectrum of enthusiasm for Father's Day, I do believe it's beneficial to use this occasion to think about fathers and particularly to think about what God says to fathers and that's what we're going to do in our sermon this morning. Now, Of course, we don't have the time to consider all that God has to say. I, I want to consider just two verses, two verses in the Bible where the Lord addresses fathers directly and I'm sure most of you are familiar with them. These verses, penned by the Apostle Paul, appear in what scholars call the household code. We find it in Paul's letter to the Ephesians and in Paul's letter to the Colossians. It's a series of commands for different members of the household and it's intended for Christian households. Uh, This is God's expectation, this is God's standard for the members of Christian families. And I say that because the household code presupposes the saving work of Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit. These instructions are given after Paul explains the gospel to his readers and the implications of the gospel. If one does not have new life in Christ, if one does not have the indwelling Holy Spirit, one cannot live up to this standard. I cannot be a good father without Jesus. I cannot be a good father apart from a relationship with God through Jesus. And neither can you. Before we get to the commands that are given to fathers, we have to start here. In truth, we... All have to start here. We all need forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. We need life in relationship with God. We need the the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us if we ever hope to be good husbands and wives and mothers and fathers. This all starts at the cross. I hope you've been there. I hope you know what the cross is all about. I hope you know what happened on that day nearly 2,000 years ago outside the walls of Jerusalem. I hope you know who Jesus is and what he accomplished. I hope you know Jesus as Lord and Saviour and so have the assurance of sins forgiven and everlasting life. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Can you say that today? Dads, mums, children, is this your confession? I'm trusting in Christ and Christ alone. It all starts here. The two verses that we're going to consider this morning are Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 and Colossians chapter 3 verse 21. You can see them there printed at the top of the outline. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. 
From these two verses, I want to bring a very simple sermon. A sermon with just two points. Uh, Number one, what bad fathers do. And then number two, what good fathers do. Very simple. What bad fathers do, what good fathers do. And before we go any further, let's pray and commit our time to the Lord. Father, we thank you for revealing yourself and your will to us in your word. Thank you that we have the Bible in our own language. And thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand at your word. I just pray now that your spirit would be at work in our hearts now. Lord, I pray that he would illumine the text to our minds and he would impress its truth upon our hearts. Lord, I pray that these next few moments would be profitable for us all. And this we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now, this is a sermon for fathers. I've already said that. Uh, But that doesn't mean it's not a sermon for everyone else. Uh, Some of you are parents to a man who is now a father. You are grandparents and you have the gift of influence. You can help your son be a good father by encouraging him with the truths we're about to look at. Uh, Some of you are married to a man who is a father, the father of your children. Likewise, you can encourage him with these truths. This is what ought to shape your expectations of him as a father. Uh, Some of you hope to be a father one day, and so you need to know what God says about this. And all of us, irrespective of our family situation, need to have a biblical view of fatherhood because the world certainly has a view. Uh, The world has a set of messages that, that it propagates, But it's the scripture that ought to shape our view. And so, yes, this is a sermon for fathers, but this is truth that we all need to receive. Uh, No one has permission to switch off and play Candy Crush on their phone this morning. Not that anyone would be so tempted, I'm sure. Now, as I said, the first point for us to consider from these two verses is what bad fathers do. And we can determine how bad fathers behave by paying attention to what the Bible tells fathers not to do in these verses. A man fails in his duty to his children when he does what the scripture says not to do. And from what we have in our verses, this can be boiled down to two simple statements. Number one, a bad father makes his children angry. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4, provoke not your children to wrath. Colossians chapter 3 verse 21, provoke not your children to anger. And this is not referring to a temporary anger. Uh, Paul is not saying, never upset your children. we, We know that our children get angry, they get upset, and we've done exactly the right thing. It's their temper, it's, it's anger driven by the fact that they didn't get their own way. It's their fallen human nature expressing itself. Uh, maybe some of you upset your children this morning. They wanted something that was unwise for them to have and you didn't let them have it and uh, it was on. It always seems to happen on Sunday mornings, doesn't it? Just when you want to get ready and, and go to church. But that's not what's in view here. These are fathers who exasperate their children. Fathers who by their words and deeds raise angry children. Children who have no rule over their own spirit. Children who are resentful and bitter. And and tragically there are a lot of children like this in our world today. Children who are angry with authority. 
Children who it seems who are, who are angry with the world, even very young children. And my wife works with three to five year olds. And it's so very sad that out of some of their little mouths comes the very worst kind of swearing and abuse. She has to deal with children on an almost daily basis who are in a rage. There's no other word for it. And yes, all children have their moments. And a part of growing is learning to self-regulate. And yes, some children have psychological conditions. Some children have challenges processing information, challenges learning and so forth. And I'm glad we live in a time when we understand so much more about childhood development and about how children learn. I don't want to diminish these realities at all. But what's, what's the number one factor? When any child is angry and resentful and deeply unhappy... Something is not right at home. Usually there is a father who has provoked that child, exasperated that child. The child has been let down by his dad. Bad fathers make their children angry. And then secondly, we see in our text that bad fathers sap away their children's spirit. Look, if you would, at the end of Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged I put the Greek word that's translated discouraged in the outline it's the word athumos the particle of negation ah is in front of the word thumos a thumos literally refers to a, a boiling or a, or a stirring think of your, your thermos it's a, it's a word that refers to passion or to spiritedness the word here is athumos no Thumos. It is to be dispirited. It is to be disheartened. One author explains it this way. The idea of the term is to be without courage or spirit. It has the sense of being listless, sullen, discouraged or despairing. And this is depressingly familiar, isn't it? Children who have had that innate joy and wonder stifled... Children who already have a negative outlook on life. Teenagers who are dispirited, listless, sullen, cynical. And as a result, they've retreated. They lose themselves in technology, in their devices, their video games, their music. Many descend into a life of drug use, pornography and casual sex. Now sure, this is not all teenagers today, but a fairly substantial percentage and a varying decrease. This is only anecdotal, but I've had a number of conversations with older teenagers and young adults over the last couple of years where their nihilism has come through clearly. They have no belief in truth, no real sense of purpose, and they're not overly troubled by it, or so it seemed. Part of that obviously stems from the naturalistic, materialistic worldview that has shaped their education from preschool to the university lecture hall, but it also flows from parents who were disengaged. Parents who discourage them. And it's very sad. Bad fathers make their children angry and they sap away their children's spirit. And how do they do it? How does this happen? What does a bad father look like in practice? Well, it happens in lots of ways. I'd like to briefly mention just eight. 
Now this happens when a father is absent, when he's not around. Now children need what a father gives. Affection, security, discipline, instruction, encouragement, an example. Of course, children can receive these from their mother, but they need it from their father too. These are all vital for a child's development and well-being. Fathers have such an important role to play in a child's life and there are even voices in the secular world that recognise this. There are psychologists and sociologists who acknowledge that there is a connection between fatherlessness and poverty. There is a connection between fatherlessness and drug and alcohol abuse and mental health problems and educational achievement and crime and teen pregnancy. When fathers are not around, these things are more prevalent. And as Christians, we're not surprised. We know how God designed the family to be. We, we know what leads to human flourishing. It's a family with a mother and a father. Absent fathers provoke and dispirit their children. And it's not just fathers who don't live in the family home. These are not just children being raised by single mothers. This includes fathers who are frequently absent because of work or because of some hobby. Mum and dad are married, dad lives at home, but the kids just don't see him that often. There are a lot of dinner times when he's not there, a lot of Saturdays when he's not there, he's out all the time, he's away. Now I know there are dads who work long and hard for their families. They, they want to provide their children with a nice home and send them to the best schools and give them opportunities to participate in all kinds of good things. It's a, it's a noble motivation, but the price is their absence. The truth is, kids need their dads more than they need to go to a prestigious school or to live in a big house or to have a 100-inch smart TV in the lounge room. How tragic would it be to have worked long and hard to give your children the best of everything only to have them resent you and have a heart filled with bitterness because you never had any time for them. And this happens when a father is absent. It also happens when a father is abusive, when he's not kind. Over the last two decades we've learned just how much damage physical and sexual abuse does to children. We had a royal commission that went all around the country exposing this. We we saw the raw emotion of those who'd been victims and we learned about the awful and sometimes lifelong and life-defining consequences. We understand how a father who abuses his children in these ways discourages them, how he causes them deep harm. Abused children are often angry. Indeed, this is something that those who work in child protection take note of. There is often something going on when a child is unusually angry. We understand the harmful effects of this kind of abuse, but it's not just this. A father can abuse his children without ever laying a finger on them. A man who shouts at his children, who disparages them, who swears at them, who puts them down. An angry man, he exasperates his children. He, he wounds them. He breaks their spirit. It's one of the saddest things to hear a father swear at his child or cut down his child with a nasty remark. And this is how it happens. 
A father is absent, he's not around. A father is abusive, he's not kind. Uh, Children are also provoked in this way by a father who is selfish when he's not interested. When he's too caught up doing his own things, chasing his own goals, pursuing his own pleasures. I don't think any dad would say that he's not interested in his children, his children's welfare, their education and so forth. And at some level that might be true, but the test is whether he actually devotes time to his children. Whether he he does things with his children that his children actually want to do. Whether he puts his time and resources into their lives. Does he ever say no to himself so that he can encourage and bless his children? Or is it all about him? Is he the sun in the home around which everyone has to orbit? Does, Does everything have to operate according to his schedule and according to his whims? Selfish dads often have insecure children. Children who lack confidence. Children who are anxious because they're not assured by a deep sense of love and acceptance. And these are often children who become selfish themselves. That's what they've learned That's what they almost have been forced into out of self-preservation. A father also saps away the spirit of his children by being critical when he's not encouraging. Now giving our children honest feedback is important. Uh, In life, not everyone gets the prize, not everyone gets the job, not everyone gets top marks, and not everything we do is correct and praiseworthy. Uh, People get fired for doing a bad job. Fathers need to be honest. Fathers need to give correction. Children need to try harder. Children need to learn from their mistakes. But nothing breaks a child's spirit quite like a father who is never pleased. A father who is always negative, who is constantly finding fault. A father who always insists that his choices are superior. You will provoke your children to wrath if you're a dad like that. You hear it from time to time. And it really should bother us more than it probably does. But people say, my father was a hard man. Now maybe they mean he was tough. He was physically strong. He was able to to cope with a lot of hardship. Or they mean he was a a shrewd businessman. He, He drove a hard bargain. But a lot of the time what they mean is that he was hard to please. He was sparing when it came to words of affirmation and approval. I do not want my kids to say this about me. And I don't think any Christian father should want this said about him. This, This is how you discourage your children. This is what the Bible says not to do, not to be. A father like this. A father who is critical is often a father who is proud. He's not wrong. He's never wrong. There is only his way, and even when his way doesn't work out, he never acknowledges it, he never apologises. His, his children never hear him admit that he was wrong, and now, this messes children up. Now, my dad was never wrong, they say, as adults, and you can hear the bitterness in their voice. Their father's pride poisoned the relationship, it poisoned the family, it produced awful fruit, anger and strife and disunity. Children with proud fathers don't learn about personal responsibility and repentance and forgiveness. They never see it modelled. 
Now, how many boys get the impression that a man is someone who never has to say sorry? They see pride. They learn pride. They become proud. Children are also discouraged when their father is hypocritical, when he's not genuine. Now, children are not dumb. Children pick up on this, they, they see it, they, they get what's happening. They know when dad says certain things in one context, when he behaves a certain way, but then speaks and behaves differently at home. They notice when dad is friendly and warm at church, but then speaks ill of the people at church around the lunch table. They notice when dad treats mum with respect and kindness in public, but treats her terribly in private. They notice when dad expresses strong opinions against something when he's with his friends, but then does that very thing when he's at home, and it discourages them. It causes young children to become cynical teenagers. And it turns them away from the church, and it turns them away from the faith. Hypocritical fathers provoke their children, as does those who are partial A hypocritical father is not genuine. A partial father is not fair. I'm not going to say much about this because I think we get it. When a father has a favourite, the other children are hurt, and sometimes deeply so. Maybe this is you. You weren't the favourite. And that wasn't just your perception. It was said openly, and you bear the scars of that. You needed the grace of God to overcome the hurt And the bitterness. The final way that fathers raise angry children is by being cold when they're not affectionate. I think for some men this comes more easily than for others. They have no trouble expressing their love for their children. It's not hard to say, I love you. It's the most natural thing to hug and kiss their kids and enjoy that closeness. But for others, it, it doesn't come so easily, and perhaps that's a function of their personality. Or perhaps it's because they themselves never experienced it. They never knew a father's affection. Whatever the case, children need these expressions of our affection. They need to hear that we love them. They they need to be embraced. They need to sense that acceptance and closeness. They need to experience that warmth and the happiness that flows. All of those good feelings. Father's affection secures them. It gives them self-esteem. It helps them to have the right view of love and of relationships. But, but if we're cold, if we're detached, if they rarely hear expressions of love from our lips, if there isn't that closeness, they, they miss out and they end up being messed up and they will go looking for that affection in all the wrong places. Now, I realise this is quite a list. And I thank you for your patience as I've waded through it. There's more that could be added to it. But this is sufficient for our purposes today. Ultimately, what these all represent is a failure of love. Bad fathers make their children angry. They sap away their children's spirit because their love is deficient. Love is all that these things are not. Love is being present, not absent. 
Love is being kind, not abusive. Love is being interested, not selfish. Love is being encouraging, not critical. Willing to admit wrong, not proud. Genuine, not hypocritical. Fair, not partial. Affectionate, not cold. Now we would all profess to love our children, and I'm sure we do. Our heart is sincerely for our children. But here we have an opportunity to examine our love and to think about the influence we're having in our children's lives. Are we making our children angry? Are we discouraging them? Are these the kind of adults we're going to produce? We have the opportunity to think through this list and with God's help identify any deficiencies. Maybe we are dropping the ball in one of these areas. We are selfish. There is a lot of shouting and a lot of anger. We are proud. It's our way or the highway. We are hypocritical. This is an appropriate day for fathers especially to deal with sin, to to straighten out some of these things, to commit ourselves to being better fathers with the help of the Holy Spirit. We're going to finish this sermon in our service tonight, so don't worry. If you're able, I'd encourage you to come along. We, we haven't got to the positive part. We're, we're yet to see what good fathers do. But for now, if the Lord, by his word, is dealing with you, if, if he's putting his finger on your life, listen to him. Receive what he's saying and respond in whatever way he's calling you to. Amen.